Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening. This is uh, June 1st, 2015. And we are hosting our kickoff for the Black Men's Quarterly Phone Mentoring Call-In. My name is Joan Gosier, co-founder of HBCUKids.com. I'm only serving as a facilitator and as the outsider looking in with the concern in my heart that we are losing our future generation. Without strong black men, how can we have strong families? So that is why there is a woman who is speaking on this call for the phone mentoring. But my goal, if it's God's will, is that my role will be minimized and that the capable men on this call will be the mentors and the advice givers to those that are listening. I want to start off with just three things to kind of set the stage. First, the definition of a mentor. Um, Different sites I looked at, and I think that everybody can kind of agree on that. And a mentor is someone that gives advice, trains, they're experienced, they're trusted, they're someone who guides another to greater success, they're a counselor. A mentor can be older or younger but they have a certain expertise. Mentoring is a process that always involves communication and is relationship-based, but its precise definition is elusive. Others say it's a training system. So the question is, what is a phone mentor? Why are we having a phone mentoring program once a quarter? Because it's anonymous. Too many messengers get shot, especially within families. If you go to someone and you try to advise them, I've seen it happen, you get shot because you might be too close to the situation and they might think you're picking on them or you've got a hidden agenda. Well, we are dealing with voices and messages versus visual messengers. It's also different because we're dealing in an informal environment. We're not assigning specific people to be specific mentors. If that relationship develops based on you listening and hearing where a certain person is coming from or the type of life that they've led and you feel like you connect, then there are profiles on the website, www.bmq.mobi that will be up 24-7, and you can connect to the individuals that way. But we want on these calls it to be free spirit, uh, clarity, truth, and we encourage you to call in or to call, um, come to the chat room and share your questions or your concerns. The 
start off with the, the, the uh, program, we talked about this rites of passage. Every group has a right of passage, meaning that there are steps or goals that you have to achieve in order to go from one place to the next. And Calvin Mann was telling us how, through his experience, we lose most of our young black boys from junior high to high school because the parents take their hands off of the situation. And the next step after high school is life. And there's so many expectations that society has on life that he feels that there's a lot of talk going on, but not a lot of teaching going on. And so we want to address that on this call. I want to kick everything off with just sharing what the African, and this is, I know Africa's a whole continent, but this particular site was talking about a generic right to passage that our ancestral roots lie in. There are five steps to becoming a, a, a man, basically. Um, birth, Excuse me, one second, Joe. One second, I hate to yeah. cut you off. Is it possible that we can post a number where they can call in? Oh, sure. You can call in at 724, and I'll put it in the chat room as well, 724-444-7444. Then there's a code. That code is 130839, and then you're going to hit pound. And it's going to talk to you, and then you're just going to hit one. You don't need any other code. Once you put that pound in, you just hit one, and that will bring you into the conversation. Okay, so once again, that's 724-444-7444. And the code is 130-839-POUND. So I'm going to read you what this um Ancestral uh, rites of passage sounds like, and I want each of the male mentors on the call right now, think through your life in terms of what rites of passage you went through, and then I'm going to go in order. I'm going to go start with Michigan, Southern California, Eastern Virginia, and then Eastern Maryland. If you could share what your rites of passage, as best you can remember, what were the key definitional points where you knew you were on track? Okay, so the five areas are from birth to adulthood, from adulthood to marriage, from marriage to eldership, and from eldership to ancestorship. And birth, what they said, was that's when you know what your name means. Your purpose for being born was to fill in the blank, that every baby born is given a name in Africa that has a meaning, and it tells the purpose for what the parents feel they were born to do. But then adulthood, they go through the rites of passage to basically be able to live independently of their family. Then they go to marriage where they take on a spouse where they are basically caring for her needs and preparing for a future if they are going to have children. Eldership is where they then step up to help mentor or guide the younger men in the village 
And ancestorship is basically you pass out of this life, so you die, but your legacy lives on. And so everybody living is always looking towards ancestorship because it's not just having a dead relative, but you want to die with honor, respect, and you want dignity that your name meant something to those yet to be born. So those are generally speaking the phases. So in our society, this article I was reading asked the question, when does the transition occur for black American men? Is it when you get a car, when you graduate from college, when you get a real job, when you lose your virginity, when you have a kid? And they said there's basically four things that decide if a man is a man. One, he has to think like a man. Two, carry himself like a man. Three, the community respects him as a man. And four, he shoulders the responsibilities as a man. So I'm going to stop there and back down and let Calvin go from there, from your experience, what was your transition from being one to learn to one who teaches? Well, from my experiences, it was uh, there were a number of um, males in my life, and the men uh, I learned early. I, I did have a number of uncles. I come from a big family, so I have a number of brothers. But when I left for college, I was quite a bit immature. And being removed uh, from college, I was on a basketball scholarship, and, and I lost it. And it was um, reality hit. I was 17. Well, I had just turned 18. And reality hit. I thank God that, you know, I had a lot go before me to learn from. And so my biggest transition was I didn't want to go back home because, you know, back then it was if you're 18 years old, uh, that's when we were told that we were supposed to be out. You know, if you're not going to college or if you're going to college, you're getting out of here. You know, that was the process. So my biggest transition was um, that helped me uh, along the way. There was a number of markers in my life, but um, when I left, and uh, got kicked out. I wouldn't get my own place. And it was sometime after that that uh, my biggest transition occurred when I realized I was having a son. And uh, I took my son's mother hand in marriage. And that was an eye-opener of being a father. That was my biggest eye-opener. Prior to that, I was just, you know, wild as wild can be. But instantly, what saved me more than that was coaching. I was responsible and I had became one of the youngest varsity basketball coaches at 20, 22 and a half. That saved me and it taught me and it, it, it guided me in so many ways. And so that was my biggest um, eye-opener because everything else at that point was attacking me. Every area I went into, you know, was attacking me. But it was when I went into coaching, and then I pursued it, going to coaches' clinics and everything, that's when I had my biggest transition. Okay. So thank you for sharing that. Southern California. 
your transition. Okay, Miss Jones. You know I have a bad memory. You said a whole lot, so <laughs> thank you. Whatever, take it whatever one step at a time. Your heart is the most impactful for someone listening. For some young kid, pick an age that that you feel that really you could help somebody get from A to Z. Well, um, if we're talking about like. Uh, I, if I can remember right, you said something about going from who was the most impactful in your life when from kindergarten all the way up to high school or whatever. Yeah. Did you say that or did my brain? Okay. I, just making sure. All right. Well, I have to say I had um, my father and my grandfather. My grandfather was a preacher, um, and my father was, was always there. So I had, you know, those two two you know, look up to. And it was funny, I had my uncle, um, no, my cousin, he was a, he, no, my uncle, he was a, he was a criminal. (laughs) He was in and out of jail and stuff like that. But when he came around and he saw me looking like I was doing something that wasn't right, he would, you know, basically get on me. And that kept me on a straight and narrow, you know, being in Watts, you know, when you get so old, uh, the older boys want you to join the gang or hang out with them and stuff like that. And, you know, my parents kept, my father kept me in, you know, different activities and things. So that kept me out of, out of the possibility of getting in trouble. So that's one thing that kids need today, especially boys. They need other avenues to, uh, you know, ex- express their energies in a positive way in sports or, or something. We need to do something to 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 help them with that. So I, I'm glad that I had, you know, my parents around. And then when I got 18, well, before I turned 18, my daughter was born. So I had to figure out, you know, something to do. And I was already thinking about going into the military. So when I, you know, when she was born, I was like, well, that looks like that's going to be actually happening. So, you know, I decided to go ahead and do that. So. Uh, it, but you know, I'm glad that I had my 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 grandfather, you know, when he was around, and then my father uh, up to when I w- went to the military, you know, it got me in a positive way to keep me on the straight and narrow. Because if I had messed myself up in gangs or getting in trouble and stuff, I wouldn't be able to go into the military, and then I wouldn't be able to take care of my my daughter, and I'd have been all messed up. And your daughter is a college graduate, correct? No, she's still in school. <laughs> she's heading that way. <laughs> uh, man, she she's almost like a she's gonna be a professional student. <laughs> <laughs> but she's not a grandfather. No, no, no. That's one good thing because I, I, you know, it's funny. Her mother, when I met her mother, she we were fifteen. She was pregnant, and then she got pregnant like a year and a half after uh, with my daughter. But you know, I I guess she didn't want to get pregnant or something or she was listening to me she didn't she didn't even think about getting pregnant and everything so that's a a good thing you know on my part because i was like i don't want to be no 30 year old grandfather that's not happening because every other woman in her mother's side had a baby well almost all of them except for one probably had had kids when they were like 15 16 years old so she's the only one that didn't thank you that's a good thing okay if we're gonna come back if you think of anything else now we're going to go to East Virginia. Hello. 
Yes, you. Oh, that is me. How are you doing tonight? Mm-hmm. Well, I have listened to some of the stories. Some of the stories are similar uh, to my story. Hold on a second. And um, some of the things that basically kept me in line and and some of my friends, we talk about it here, here and there about the fathers. We look at all the guys from my neighborhood and the surrounding neighborhoods about what what man lived in the house when you were growing up. For me, my dad lived in the house. And for the other uh, so-called, quote, unquote, successful guys that I uh, am involved with, all of their fathers have lived in the home. Now, we look at the kids who probably who have been to jail uh, or who may not been doing it, may, may not be doing as well. Uh, I would say 85% of them fathers was, was not around. And there were some who were there but not functional, meaning uh, they were very seldom there or they, you know, had drinking problems or whatever the case may be. Now, for me, again, my dad kept me in line pretty much, and I, I try to tell kids if they don't have a father or uncle, I can say all my uncles, uncles and aunts, all of them, practically, I would say, in my family, immediate family, 97% of them remained married. There was no divorce and all that. For one, my daddy don't believe that, and I really don't believe that. So don't 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 get it don't get it twisted though. But but um, those are some of the things that basically kept me in line. And, and again, I got off track. But what I try to tell a young man is that a lot of guys boys don't have a problem. They need to find something they 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 that they like to do. For me. Uh, I was on a football scholarship, and my ambition was to make it to the NFL, which I didn't. But at the time, I knew that the things I had to do to make it to college. So that means I had to go to school to go, you know, to to, to fulfill my dream as of becoming an NFL player. So I had to go to college. So, I, I mean, I had to start off in high school, you know, doing well in high school, and going off to college to to play football, and I played uh, my years at um, Hampton University. The first first year wasn't that great, and I had a, a backslid, and and I got in a lot of trouble back then. But uh, I, I, I regained my composure and got myself together. But uh, I eventually. Uh, uh, graduated, but uh, again, I didn't make it to the NFL, but I, I did get my diploma. So, as in football, basically, uh, another besides my father, you know, my uncles, and and, and football. That's some of the, the three things uh, basically kept me together. Oh, and my, my fraternity. Well, I was just in case y'all not 
you're listening, uh, I'm Omega. Or, or, but anyway, but um, those are some of the things I try to tell because uh, I work with kids now. I try to let them tell me some of the things that they like to do and what can they do to to get to where they want to go. But most of a lot of them don't have any dreams. Like my dream was to make it to the NFL. So they truly need to be, I mean, whatever they decide to, to uh, become. If they want to be a construction worker or whatever the case may be, cut yard, you know, things of that nature, what they need to do today to get to that point. So uh, that, that pretty much worked pretty good. But I think the main problem personally for my experience, my uh, interacting with um, boys that, they don't have a father figure at home or uncle. But most of our black kids are being raised by their grandma or some type of guardian. You know, I mean, there's some of them not even related to to whoever this guardian is. And um, so I just say trying to teach them to find something that they want to do to guide them to uh, to becoming successful because they don't have any goals of anything, the street's going to get them. The street's going to get them. And I know as for me, as being, I'm 51 now, and by having a family and having kids, that kept me kind of grounded because sometimes I, I, I could, I'm pretty cool, cool, level-headed, but I could snap, you know, because uh, I know a couple of weeks ago I told a lady one for my kids and my family this would be a, this would be a different ball game and walked away. But uh, on my job, that's right, on my job. Oh no, not you. <laughs> but that's some of the things I would like to share, and uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I just want to make sure y'all understood that he's talking about them people on his job, not at home. <laughs> we don't see that Hulk side at home. <laughs> we see David Banner. <laughs> okay. So now we're going to move to East Maryland. Um, you dropped off, and I see you're back. Would you like I'm to back. share uh, your story, your rites of passage? Yes. Is this me? Yes, this is you. Okay. All right. Well, um, I don't want to take up a whole lot of time, but uh, we all know that uh, if we, you know, given our uh, testimonial story about our rites of passage as black men in America, uh, that's a long river to travel down. Um, but mine, you know, began as, uh, I mean, typical, just like, you know, uh, the rest of the callers. Uh, dad was in the um in the household mom um and i mean always had birthdays uh never you know missed a meal or nothing like that and um i went to catholic school uh and i believe like my my problems and issues started as a as a young black youth i believe at in the third grade and um in dealing with uh, European 
uh, or Caucasian Americans, and you know it was just it, it, it was just evident that it was a difference. Um, it was totally it was taught differently in my household that was you know taught in their household. So um, I believe my issues and problems as a black boy became you know became in the third grade, and then you know my parents couldn't understand why I was having these problems and these issues. And when I tried to explain them to them, you know, with the limited uh, vocabulary, um, the limited, um, uh, uh, I, I would say, yeah, I mean, even to education at that point, as a, as a little boy to try to explain racism that you don't even understand exists. Um, so um, after that, I would say my next rite of passage would be between third grade and seventh grade because that's when my parents had broke up, um, and that's where, you know, it was a divorce in the family, and I, I had to make a decision to go with dad or go with mom. And my decision was to go with dad. You know, I mean, I was a little boy that, you know, liked little boy things and liked football. I played football, was a star athlete from Pop Warner. From You know, I played seven nine. Uh, 9, 11, 10, 12, and, and, and when I made it to uh, seventh grade was when I started having the problems where dad had to work and, um, and I was in the house, you know, had to be, you know, I had to be home and, you know, do schoolwork. And my dad not having the education and not, you know, being able to have to work, you know, eight to 12 hours a day, and then come home and help me with homework with his high school diploma. You know, that's all he had, and he graduated in 69, so he was dealing with a whole other different set of uh, issues with the educational system. Um, and then that's when him and I became, you know, uh, that's when our problems, our friction in the house, because I believe at that time, I believe I, I turned uh, 12, 13 years of age, and I was having real, you know, having a lot of problems in school, and um, but just couldn't uh, articulate it to the to the point back then to let people know that you know I don't understand or, or you know uh, I need help. And um, I'd say when my problem, my next set of issues uh, as a young black, you know, boy uh, was with my father and me having just. Just, just being bad and, you know, just having a lot of, you know, just a lot of t free time. Um, went to prison um, as a, a youth. Um, my father, him and my father, we kind of got into it. He got, you know, had to say, well, look, I can't deal with you. You go live with your mother. I went to go live with my mother. And, the, um, and at that time, mom had to work, so she working 8 to 12 hours a day just a lot of free time coming up back in the 80s and not having an older brother, having older cousins on another side of the family. Those were my uh, mentors were, you know, the, the drug addicts, uh, were the street guys. Uh, they didn't go to school. They didn't graduate high school. Those were my mentors. Those were the guys that I wanted to look up to. And um, I pursued a career in, you know, being, you know, the baddest of the bad. And uh, didn't have to, like I said. I mean, grew up in a nice household, uh, had very nice, good family. But these were, you know, what, what I chose. And um, what I would say 
is a lot of the challenges that we have now as men trying to mentor to the young, you know, boys of today is is that the influences. I mean, it, those influences back then were very powerful and they were negative influences. And I just look at today, those negative influences has multiplied maybe a hundred million times since 1987. Um, so um, we'll go into 15 years of age. You know, went to ju- 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 juvenile prison. Uh, Charles H. Hickey, uh, which which was Maryland Training School for Boys. I did a stint there, um, and when I left there, it was it was on. That's where all of the criminals, all of the young little, where they're dumping the. $60 million that they're dumping into or $30 million that they're trying to dump into uh, right now, that's what they had back then, and that's only a training facility for little bad little boys to, you know, talk about, you know, what their uncles told them or what their little brothers told them or, you know, and, and it's just a, a, a melting pot for more criminality to come out. And um, I'd say I got out of that situation and, I mean, it just evolved in and out, recidivism, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, until 25 years of age, um, I went into a federal penitentiary um, for bank robbery. And from that point, I realized that I'm 25 years of age. I don't have anything. I've never went anywhere pretty much outside of my city, outside of my town, I didn't know anything, but now I've been opened up to criminals of all over the world. And um, and I went to Indiana, which is Terry Hutt, Indiana, and uh, I didn't know not one person in there. It was Terry Hutt Federal Penitentiary, and uh, didn't know not one person in, the, in in there. But just going through all of that that prison system and that prison life. It, you know, it just geared me to that point right there in my life that I seen guys that would never see the light of day. And, I, you know, I really, it was at, at that point that I had to realize that I didn't know anything. And everything that I thought that I knew, I didn't know. And I just pursued, you know, from there to try to learn everything that I can on every different level. And I realized that I didn't know nothing on no level. I didn't know business, so I wanted to know business. I didn't know religion, so I wanted to know religion. I didn't know politics, so I want to learn politics. I didn't master anything of those, of none of those schools of thought, but I just opened up some of those books to just peep into it to realize, man, you know, us as black men, I mean, we went through a whole lot, and we're going to continue to. And, I mean, it all stems from Willie Lynch, and I'm pretty sure a lot of the brothers know all about that. But we just got to continue to keep striving and trying to uh, open up different avenues, just like, you know, prison programs. I mean, it's guys that's coming out of prison that need to understand and know that these are your sons that's out here that has their pants hanging down. I mean, I can't tell them nothing because they won't listen to me. You know, I'm not their father, you know, and, and I, I I even have, you know, young boys that be in my circumference, but they're not my children, and it's like, oh, you can't say that. You can't tell them this, or you can't tell them that. And I'm like, well, why not? I mean, it's right, you know, but when you have uh, mothers and grandmothers raising little boys, that's where we have a lot of the uh, 
disconnect. And I'm not going to waste too much more time because I know there's more callers here. But that's just my portion to understand. We just have to come together and do more things like this and think tanks and um, utilize the technology that we have, you know, for the good. And let's continue to keep this thing spinning. Amen. Thank you, all of you, all of you. Now, I'm going um, to freeze a second because I want to talk a little bit deeper into these um, these three steps, if you will. Um, in my book, I did it, you know, obviously from a woman's perspective, and so, you know, bear with me, but I still think it's three steps because when I did research, it's three steps. But I call it exploration, discipline, and application, meaning those are the steps that I had to go through to get to where I am, exposed to the community that I grew up in, disciplined by people who cared about me, who loved me, um, and application to how do I deal with this problem right in front of me. You know, I can't push it off to somebody else. I can't stick my head in the sand and hide from it. I have to actually get up and do something about it. So when I was doing some research on this whole rites of passage for men, and, and the goal being to help lead more to gainful employment or have a success in owning a business, it's obvious that from the results that many black men are getting stuck in one step and they're not having a clear step-by-step path on what comes next. So that's the point of these quarterly calls because each one of you have just shared different paths, but all have enabled you to care enough to be on this call and share your story candidly and transparently, which as some of you have even said, you can't really get to do when you're face-to-face with someone because they want to look upside your head and not really listen to the message of what you're trying to, to You're trying to save them. You're trying to help them. So these are the three steps, and I want you all to think about how we can make this real for someone who's listening to this on a replay. The, the third step, which I call exposure or exploration, they call it separation. And what that means is you take your old self and you kill it. It's extinguished, and then you create a new identity. And, you know, I know our Michigan caller can relate to that. So all of you may be able to relate to it, but, you know, the Bible says to put away your old to create new constantly. Um, I think about the military, you know, California, you talked about being in the military. They put you through a boot camp and, you know, uh, Virginia, he talked about his fraternity, they put you through a pledge ritual, you know, and that there might be somebody that's in a brotherhood of some sort. But the first step, it means that you have to move out your old to become new. And then the second step is called a transition. I call it discipline, but it means when elders impart what it means to be whatever it is you're trying to be. So they put you through tests um, of pain and endurance. You know, it might be a physical test, it might be a mental test, but there's a disciplined step-by-step, the way we do things, the way we don't do things. And in family, sometimes that's, you know, like if your last name is Brown, this is what a Brown does, and this is what everybody else does. We're different than everybody else. You're not going to be like the people down the street because we're different. Um, my grandfather used to tell his um, children, you know, you mess with mess, you get messed up, meaning, you know, don't mess with messy people, or he would tell them, you know, you get your education in your head, and then nobody can take it away from you. And those are just things that, you know, he tried to 
put into his children's heads so they could pass it on. And then the third step is, um, and then it, it, when you're in the military or fraternity or brotherhood, that's when you get some kind of title to let everyone know that you're no longer in the boot camp stage, but you transition to another level. And then the third and final phase is reincorporation. And some of this may even apply to prison. You know, it may apply to gangs, too. But reincorporation means that you've passed all your necessary tests, you've proven yourself worthy, and now you're reintroduced back to the community. You're recognized and you're honored in your new status within the group. And so a boy would now be recognized by all the members of the community as a man. And in Africa, they have a village-wide feast and a big celebration follows that this has occurred. And the, and the boy is allowed to, well, he's now a man, so he's allowed to participate in the activities and the responsibilities of his new status conferred. And so there's like a promotion ceremony, I guess, if you're in the military, and you have a crossing ceremony if you're in a fraternity or a brotherhood. And then I was thinking there's a neighborhood prison party, you know, for those who, uh, you know, get out of jail or whatever. Um, but during all the phases of these processes, the men who've gone through the ritual themselves act as guides to help the young initiate along on their journey. And so I just wanted to throw that out there and, and, and get a reaction from you all on is that true? Is it, I know it's not everything's not cut and dry, but if we could, could we save more with more of them? Yeah. With yeah, more boys I, I, come I, through it? Yeah. Because here's a quote. This is a key quote. Let, let me read you this key quote. The quote says, by controlling the rite of passage, the men decide when a boy becomes a man. And the reason why I wanted to throw that quote out there to you all is that do you feel that you or other men like you are controlling the rite of passage? Because if you don't control the rite of passage, then it's basically saying the men cannot decide when a boy becomes a man. Whoever's controlling the rite of passage is making the decision on when the boy transitions between man. So I think about like incarceration. Whoever's making the bills to lock people up are then deciding when a boy becomes a man. So that's why I'm a stop. And was that was that Michigan that had a comment? Oh, it was Maryland. Um, oh, Maryland. Go ahead, Maryland. What uh, what the spark me was is that I look in the Jewish community and they have a rites of passage for their boys. You know the bar mitzvah, and it's it, when they when they go p- through that crossing of that passage, they're recognized throughout their community as men. You know, they they they're the little girls. You know, they recognize those little boys as men, and and they're they're respected. And and it's like that in other cultures um, throughout the world. Um, and if you look in the Asian community, um, it's 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 the, the exact same way. So what what we don't have in a, as a community is uh, something that's etched in stone, something that's that's being, um, uh, I would say, um, utilized or being um, regulated as this is the norm. This is what you have to go through, you know, in order to be a man, and then you you're recognized and respected because men should be respected, you know walk in this earth. So, um, I mean, but like I said, 
when it goes back to the European way of thinking and our Europe, you know our integration and have, having to just go along what you know the United States uh, quota says. Okay, this is what they say that you're you're a man when you turn 18. That's when you're a man. You know, and, and if we want to continue to just go by that, then we just keep on saying, but that's not the right way. You know, so that, yeah. Ms. Jones? Uh-huh. Yes? Just, just to piggyback on what the brother said, it, it, you know, he's he's correct when he says that every other community has their own set rules and on, on when a man becomes a man and when a woman becomes a woman. And 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 things and, and things of that nature. The problem that we have as black people in America is that we allow others to dictate to us what our goals and 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 uh, rules should be. You know, we don't have a singular rite of passage in America for our our males because you know we have had that taken away from us through through slavery. And every time that we try to do something like that. Then we allow others to come in and change the the uh, parameters. You know, every time when when you come up with a program, something like I'm not I'm not advocating that Steve Harvey's thing, but I'm just saying if you come up with something like that, then we allow others into the into the mix. You know, he wants to uh, have white people and Hispanics and everybody else involved in 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 our mix instead of just having it singularly focused on us. When you go to an Asian situation with their with their men, they do whatever they do. When Jews do whatever they do, they do what they do with their own people. They don't say, hey, black people, come on in here and let's do this. They say, okay, everybody is Jewish, come on over here. Same with the Hispanics. With us, it has to be a group thing. It has to be a we thing instead of a me thing. And that, that's one thing that we need to fix as far as being black men is that we have to differentiate what is good for the race and what is good for everybody. There's nothing wrong with being, uh, uh, what's the word? There's nothing wrong with being uh, stingy, I guess you could say, on what you want to do for your own people. You know, you have certain ways that you want your husband, or your husband has certain ideas he wants his his, uh, sons to grow up and the way he wants his daughters to grow up. You, You don't allow anybody else to come in your house and dictate how you run your house. We need to run our race the same exact way. But we keep on allowing everybody else to come in and put their two cents in, and then they change the rules, and we'll we never get anywhere because of that. If that makes any sense. Thanks. Makes sense. We had Southeast Pennsylvania join us, and South Alabama. Southeast Pennsylvania, would you like to comment? And then South Alabama. Yes. This is uh, Professor Carl Tom Jones. Um, sorry, I'm late to the call. Um, I was just listening until uh, I get another opportunity to talk. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. So we're just commenting on uh, if there are three steps to becoming a man, um, what would you say they would be coming from a black man? Uh Understanding, understanding our history, understanding who we are. That's um, probably top of the list. Uh, being able to have some cultural integrity, 
And, you know, just off the top of my head, um, being unafraid and unapologetic about being black. Okay. South Alabama. Yes, ma'am. You feel How like you we're not good. You feel like we're not controlling our right of passage. And how do we get that control? Well, I think that we get that control by correcting the miseducation okay, that um, has enslaved us. That, that um, through our education, that um, has moved us to have a low self-esteem, to think that we can achieve as a result of slavery, you know, the slave mentality. Brother uh, spoke earlier about the Willie Lynch syndrome. All of those things are play a part in it. You know, there, you know there's no one, um, one variable or factor, you know. So, go ahead. So I think okay. we, 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 take, we take it back, we take it control back by, uh, number one, understanding the environment that we're in, our history, you know, and, and present it that way, you know, our right of passage. We, can't, we cannot uh, neglect those who have been incarcerated because I've been one that, like the brother earlier, that's been incarcerated myself, you know. So I understand um, what was missing in my life now that I didn't back then. So what I want to do uh, in terms of reclaiming black manhood is, 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 is be that father figure. Even though my father father was there, he was not there. He was not he was not there because he didn't prepare me to deal with the life issues that I would face later on in life. You see. So and I'm a product of a single parent home. My mother left me with my grandmother. I didn't see my I didn't see my mother till I was around about fourteen, fifteen years old. So that had a lot to do with um, my coming into manhood. The things that I had to learn about being a man, I had to learn from the street. You see, so I want to um, take the experiences from that that we all have, because each of us have unique experiences. But I think together, black men have, you know, nobody can um, tell us how to be a man better than us. Nobody. And I, and I, and I take that from uh, Dr. Ogbu. You know, and and his understanding and how he talked about culture and ecology, our environment. Jonah, I think you asked a question the other night um, in one of our groups about environment and the role that it plays in the academic achievement of our young black boys. You know, the environment plays more of a role than we think. And we are not in addressing in addressing that issue of manhood, that right of passage. Okay. We're not we're not we're not considering the environment and the importance of academic achievement over sports, entertainment, you know, 
So our manhood, our rite of passage has been, you know, geared more towards achieving material wealth because that's what um, the culture here, in my opinion, uh, measures a man by, of his, his, his worldly possessions. And so, I mean, and if you look at that as it relates to me and, and, and the other brothers, the black male, okay, the status of achievement, the status of success being defined by how much uh, material wealth that I accumulate is the standard for my manhood, okay? Now, but you have placed roadblocks in my pathway intentionally so that I cannot even compete, you know? So these are the things that we got to um, bring to the table with our young brothers and, you know, bring it in a way that they can relate to, I mean, from every day. You know, because it, it was through incarceration that, that I began my transformation. That's where it began for me. And like the brother said, uh, um, you know, back and forth recidivism, you know, the thing, the thing about it is there is the, the, the prison system, you know, in my opinion, cannot rehabilitate a black man or a black woman. Number one, because in my opinion, in order to rehabilitate something, meaning to restore it back to its original state, where our, our original state and as it relates to our thinking and our expression of our culture here, is twisted. It's twisted. <laughs> So, I mean, so why would we want to, how can we righteously expect, you know, to be, a real, to be rehabilitated in that system? So it's, just, it's a lot goes into that, and I don't want to take up too much time, but I hope that I, you know, I answered that. Well, y'all are on fire. I want to um, do a quick, uh, to make sure we don't lose anybody. This discussion doesn't have to end tonight. We want to invite you to um, the BMQ website, which is Black Men's Quarterly. The website is bmq.mobi, M-O-B-I. And the reason why it's bmq.mobi is because we know every black man has a cell phone. So there won't be the excuse, well, I didn't know about it because I'm not on the Internet that much. You can send it to anybody on a text message, bmq.mobi. It's not .com or .info or .net. It's bmq. Moby. And that we want it to be a safe haven place where you all can find jobs, network, um, share things, and most importantly, keep up with the dates of the future uh, phone mentoring call-ins. The vision is when we have this the next quarter, which I believe is going to be um, three months from now, so I think it's going to be uh, July, August. I think the next one's October 1st, but the dates are on the website. So let me actually pull up the website so I can make sure I'm telling you all the right date. And um, we will have, um, hopefully by then, some young black men who've either talked to you or they've posted it on the website, their questions or their topic of what they would like to have you all address. 
and we'll be able to get them to you in advance. And um, and they'll definitely be on the website. And that way you all can, um, you know, prepare um, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth for them. Oh, I'm sorry. The next one is September 1st. We have um, the, the, the schedule for the rest of the year is on the website. So the next time we'll be doing this is September 1st at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard. And the last one for the year will be December 1st at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard. They're always on the 1st, so it might be a different day of the week. That way, hopefully, you know, people who can't make it on Monday night can make it on one of those nights. But it's always the 1st of every quarter. And we want um, them to call in. We want them to listen to this. We want them to engage. But ultimately, it's our dream, Shereen and I dream, that this becomes like, you know, we just simply um, are like Miriam in the Bible. She put the basket in the water for her mother, and then, you know, Moses went and did his thing. So we want one of you all to basically, you know, leave, do whatever you are in your state, and don't feel like this is black women meddling in black men's business or anything like that. Y'all heard straight from the horse's mouth from my husband <laughs> that basically I'm just trying to be behind the scenes and, and just be supportive because I know he deals with a lot of racism on his job and where he works. And, like, when them little people come to me, they say, oh, does he do this? I said, nope, I never see that side of him. That's what y'all bring out. What y'all, y'all reap what you sell. What you put on him is what you get back. And my goal as his wife and the mother of his children is to remove all that nonsense when he comes to the door. And he only has to deal with that when he goes to work with you all. But, um, no, I don't I don't transcend whatever nonsense y'all do on the job with him. That's not what we do for him when he comes home. When he comes home, you know, we want this to be his safe place. So that's basically what we want BMQ.Mobi to be, is that safe place where you can go to and and know that, you're respected and you're honored as a man and as the, uh, the, the integral part of raising up our boys in our village. So if anyone has any parting comments, we're going to start with um, South Alabama, then Pennsylvania, Virginia, Maryland, California. Michigan will have the final remarks and the closing prayer. Okay, Alabama, final thoughts. Now, thank you for inviting. I think this is the way we begin. We start the process right here. And I will hope that we um, really focus on um, the evolutionary stages from maleness to manhood because man is mind, and our mind must be African-centered, black-centered. You know, uh, we must not, uh, we must in, uh, reaffirm to our young brothers that, you know, in spite of what it is right now, you know, in spite of the way things look right now, there is still a reason to hope, you know, in spite of uh, the wrong decisions and choices that you've made in life, you know, don't let the system define you, you know, define yourself. And one thing I want to uh, mention before, and then I'll close, is that we often speak about equality and asking, uh, in a sense, like, give us equality. You know, uh, no, in my opinion, nobody can give us equality. And if we submit to that idea 
that we have to ask somebody else to affirm our equality, then that means that we're giving them the power to determine our value, and you never do that. You have to first determine your own value, and then, you know, we can get to that uh, uh, question of equality. And that's all I have to say right now. Okay. Thank you very much. Pennsylvania? Uh, yes. Uh, I think that we all have a, a pretty good understanding in terms of what needs to be done in terms of how we need to approach the 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 next phase of, of our survival and later to be success. I think that we need to be um I think we need to approach the we need to approach the this matter unapologetically, unafraid to come across some things and we have to be able to make sacrifices. A lot of times we we, we uh a lot of times we don't practice what we preach. So, you know, if we're talking about a change, we have to be willing to be a part of that change. If we're talking about a different ideology, then we have to be willing to live that. And unless we're sincere about that, the children will see through it and nothing will be accomplished. In fact, we'll, we'll do more damage than good. So uh, I'm on board as long as we're sincere about the purpose and as long as we're sincere about the amount of sacrifice they were all willing to make to make sure that we plant for uh, the uh, seed and a deposit for the future. And with that, I yield. Okay, thank you for that. Next up is our. Virginia, but I know he's got the kids, so I'm going to move to Maryland. Okay, all right. Uh, well, in closing, you know, I'll just say that, I mean, we all been through a lot, of, a lot, and um, we know right from wrong at this stage <clears throat> in our life as adults um, to the degree of what we know of right and wrong. Um and it all starts at home before you can, you know, change, make any changes in, in a village. Um, your your house got to be changed first. So um, in order for whatever seeds or whatever whatever we want to produce to, to come out of, of this uh, discussion, uh, it, it, it started within, within ourselves from the beginning. And... Um, we're here for a purpose and we're here for a reason, even if it's for us to, you know, bounce ideas back and forth with each other and take what we need to, you know, from each other to move forward um, in our community or in our household. Even if, like I said, even if we just utilize what the knowledge that we gain from each other just in our own homes, then we create change. And, um, that's how we that's how we do it. So we just keep it spinning like that. And no matter what what we go through, and no matter what we may our eyes may see that's projected upon us, everything man is all the same. You know those those that you see come from the same. You know that that we came from. 
And um, we all products of that history, um, whether it's, you know, the Europeans, whether it's the Africans, whether it's, you know, the Asian, you know, or, or the, uh, you know, whatever nationality you're from, you come from the history from what you, it was produced. And like we were talking about the rites of passage, I really do like that, um, that point on, um, you know, it should be something that we have as, you know, as, as African descendants to, to say that you cannot be a man until you go through this. And, and until we take the power out of those gestures that we have that we call celebrities, you know, we take the power out of their hands and stop making those people so rich in abundance with our wealth, then, you know, we just continue to keep giving up our power, as the brother said earlier. Uh, so I'll talk to you brothers later, and y'all have a peaceful uh, endeavor. All right. Thank you. Southern California. Man, what else is left for there to say? <laughs> uh, um we have, I guess, we, we we basically have a lot of work to do as black men. First, one thing that we definitely need to do is uh, set out a rule on who is black and what a black man is. We have a lot of, like I said, the the biggest problem that we have as black people in America is that we allow others to dictate to us who and what we are and what we do and what our culture is and what it is and everything like that. We have never at least in my estimation, if I'm wrong, somebody, you know, correct me, we have never sat down and said, okay, this is what we are. Everybody else has their own rules of engagement. You know, Asians know what they're doing. Asians know who they are. Asians, uh, Hispanics and Jews and everybody else knows what they're doing and everybody knows who they are. We are dictated by somebody else at any given time. Um, like the brother said, we allow these gestures and these people that they prop up in front of us to dictate who's black and who is not, who's a black man and who's not a black man. We, in our own little circumference here, need to dictate, okay, this is what we are, this, this is what a black man is, this is what a black man does, this is what a black man is supposed to do, this is what our black males are supposed to do if they want to become black men in our eyes, in our, in our, in our world. So we have a lot of work to do, um, but the main thing is that at least we we all have some commonality is that, you know, for the most part, everybody on this call had a male role model to look up to, good or bad. You know, they either learned from them in a good way or they learned from their mistakes and, and, and didn't follow that. Uh, so we need to put all of that together and, you know, uh, build our community. Uh, can I say okay. one thing before, uh, excuse me, uh, that I did not get out? It's, it's yeah. this Maryland. And 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 one one it's one very big thing that we have to to deal with and understand and know for a, a fact is is that whenever the the reason why we we don't have that is because we have to fight for that power and that control within and we know that on the come up the black brother on the come up has always been the one to get murdered you know. And and, 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 and and it's and it's it's a very dangerous, you know, um uh, thing when you talk about trying to create positive change in a community that's that's supposed to be destined to destruction and death uh, uh uh under 
European slavery uh, for, for thousands of years to come. So that's a very dangerous uh, endeavor to try to, you know, go upon. And so when we find ourselves, you know, when you get up to a certain level and then and then you look and you look around and you say, well, man, what, what happened to my army? You know, my army is not around no more. And then you're looking at the devil in his face and he's saying, you know, well, well what's, what you going to do now? You know, and, and then, you know, most of the time the brothers continue to keep on moving forward. And that's when he end up, you know, uh, uh, murdered. And, and that's just been our history. So we have to we have to deal with the fear aspect in that. And, and and once you once you overcome that fear, you say, well, hey, man, if that's how what it takes, then guess what? Thousands of years from now, a hundred years from now, they'll remember me because I, you know, was one of the ones that said I'm going to etch my name in stone and create a legacy. And we'll have those Martins and Malcolms and Tupacs and Biggies and, and, and all of those for years to come. Amen. Okay. Michigan, before you say anything, I just wanna I just wanna remind everybody on our website we have Calvin Mann and his bio and all the bios were nicely put together by Shireen. She, I think she added them as far as like make sure everything is grammatically correct. So please uh click on there, look at your bio, make sure it's exactly what you want. We have Edwin Johnson's bio, we have Joseph Chinudu King's bio. And we have Patrick Irvine. And so if I didn't call your name, that just means I need you to email me, you know, a little bit about yourself so that the mentees or the, the, the people who call in for um, the next date have a little bit of background on who might be on the call and, you know, how they can connect to what it is that you're doing or, you know, um, whatever it is that you want to share publicly. So uh, you just email it to BMQ at hbcukids.com. So that goes to you, Joey. Well, I won't put your name out there, but, you know, Hello. you know who you are. If I haven't called your name, <laughs> I need your bio. So now we're going to have Mr. Michigan uh, say his closing comments and then close us out in prayer. Uh, thank you, Joan. First of all, I would be very, very conscious or should I say I would be wrong if I didn't say these words. Uh, when we return, of sound mind and body, we have to be in a solution state. We have to be careful about words that we choose and have chosen because if history repeats itself, so has the words of history constantly repeating itself. Uh, I'm very conscious about speaking life into every human being and every person that uh, uh, comes into my life, you know, for um, I have a very strong solution state of mind. And so that's where I'm going to take my closing marks. First of all, we must get children to read by the age of four. If you can read, you can dominate the system. We speak of African education and our ancestors and our history and where we come from, those who have come from Africa comes into the United States and dominates its economic system as well. And they participate and they work together and do things. That's one. The other thing is uh, I'm very conscious about inspiring a child 
whenever a child or a man comes into my presence, it is not um, it is not for one second that when he leaves my presence that he's not feeling good. And so my feel good to you tonight is the greatest gift you have as men is that you are a father. You are connected to the most high. There is nothing you can't do. You must attain the greatest while being a father because your homes is the beginning of the change. So your children will reflect exactly what you teach them. The first teacher is the parent. Fatherhood is the solution to this scenario, as well as economic sharing and growing and trading and buying and bartering. We must continue to talk and engage each other financially and remove the individualism that has plagued us since the Civil Rights Movement. On that note, I'm going to go into prayer, but I would ask you men uh, to really consider um, that we, when we get these kids and these kids call in and everything, we're gonna we're gonna have a number of solutions for them, and that's where we have to move into because, again, words have power. If I called you the N word, I would be setting you back. I would be putting you in a place that is fit for what someone else named you. In order to move from uh, the slave mentality and the slave things and the slave thoughts and the slave processes, we must remove the thoughts that we are today, again, enslaved only by our own understanding of things that we have not. There's a, I, I, I explained that my youngest son was able to read by the age of four. He has a completely different mentality. My oldest son graduated with college and he has a completely different mentality and is flying. He's not buying into the the typical this is this, this. He walks different, talks different. That's where we have an advantage when we teach our young men to teach other men. That's where we're going to have an advantage. Uh, our program, we teach young men to look out for each other, to know what each other's dreams are. We must teach the unity that we're asking for because if we don't teach it, it's not going to happen because we have been teaching individualism. Other than that, if you bow your heads, God, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together. Uh, Lord, I just want you to touch each and every one of these men, Lord, and, and, and Joan for making this happen. This quarterly, I am excited about it. I don't know how, Lord, they got it to a quarter because I'm ready to go again tomorrow. We can touch as many young men as possible through these calls, and we have to push this, Lord, right now. We have to push this because every home doesn't have us or a we. And somehow, some way, we have to open up their hearts and their homes and their minds, Lord, that they see different. Lord, I just thank you for all the gifts that you bestowed in these men to grow and to inspire and to lead and push and teach.
We were talking about the number of great men that in the past, but during those times, Lord, you know there were multiple leaders who never got the eye or the seat. And we ask that you continuously bless each and every man. He may not be on TV, but there's thousands of black leaders born every day, Lord, and we ask that you touch each and every one of them, that they are the game changers and the difference makers so our communities, our homes, and our lives can can begin to flourish the way that you would have them, Lord. Lord, touch us all, touch their families, and touch their families, other families, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank God. Amen. Good night. And the broadcast will be available in about 15 minutes, and you can share it up until whenever, 24-7 replay. So thank you all. Love you all. And have a good night. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.